I think it's a bad idea that Elon Musk will buy the entire uh, platform of Twitter. How many countries have annual budgets less than the combined wealth of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos? My only concern is if he should choose to allow people to spread hate or disinformation. I think that's a good thing. I think that it's been an unfortunate turn to have less debate be the desired effect than more. So that was quick. After a brief back and forth, Twitter has accepted a $44 billion buyout from the world's richest man. Elon Musk, who calls himself, quote, a freedom, a free speech absolutist, will gain total control of the company in three to six months when the deal closes. And that's raising a lot of questions. What impact will this takeover have on the app and on free speech in general? Will those who've been banned be allowed back? And do we want multi-billionaires to take control of our most ubiquitous platforms for communication? We'll answer all those questions and more after the break. I'm John Glenn Hill in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember, to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com 1A and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. Let's get into our discussion of Twitter, Elon Musk, and big tech regulation. Joining us now is Elizabeth Lopato. She's deputy editor at The Verge. Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Also with us is Joan Donovan. She directs the Technology and Social Change Research Project at the Shorenstein Center at Harvard Kennedy School. Joan, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. And Kate Conger is a tech reporter covering Twitter for the New York Times. Kate, thanks for your time. Thank you. Of course, we reached out to Twitter to be part of this conversation. They declined, but sent a press release that we'll read from later in the hour. That invitation still stands. Elizabeth, let's start with you. Let's get into that buyout. Um, How did Twitter and Musk arrive at this deal in the first place? (laughs) In the maximally chaotic way. (laughs) So, I mean, this is just part of Elon Musk's whole thing. I've been covering him for the better part of a decade now. And... um, we sort of first got wind that something was going on when he filed a form with the SEC, which turned out to be the wrong form, by the way. Um, but he has been buying Twitter stock since January. Mm-hmm. And uh, that became public when he filed uh, the wrong form. Um, and then he refiled the correct form. Um, and in response, Twitter was like, okay, so we'll put you on the board. And there was a brief period of a couple of days where we thought Elon Musk was going to be on the board of Twitter. And then that fell through. And then there was sort of a silence. Um, And then Musk made his offer for Twitter. And the board deployed a poison pill. And then there was another sort of silence for a little bit. And then the deal was announced. Mm -hmm. So presumably there was some maneuvering in there. 
But it all happened very, very quickly, quickly enough that I wonder if Musk even looked at Twitter's books in any kind of serious way Mm -hmm. before buying the company. Kate, how have Twitter executives reacted to this buyout? There's been a mix of reactions. I think, you know, Jack Dorsey has been the most public about what he thinks about this deal so far. He's, of course, one of the co-founders of Twitter and is still on the board. And he's praised the deal. He's really happy about the idea of Elon Musk taking over the company and has said that he thinks it's going to be good for Twitter to break away from Wall Street and be able to, you know, be accountable to itself rather than to investors. So Joan, Twitter sold itself for about $54 a share. And that makes this deal the biggest to take a company private in at least 20 years. That's according to DealLogic. It's an analytics firm. What does that mean for a company like Twitter to become a private entity? It's a really good question. We should say that it was fifty four twenty, mm. which is uh, you know the the meme of four twenty, of course. And, oh. and Elon is a bit of a troll, uh, known for his trolling online. And so, uh, you know, what's a couple extra million, hundreds of millions of dollars if you're just going to be making a joke? Um, So it makes a big difference to take it uh, private. It's no longer going to be governed in the same structure. Of course, it's still beholden to certain uh, federal laws around, uh, you know, communications and um, uh, Section 230. But it does change significantly how the company can be run and uh, there could be uh, very big shakeups uh, in the way that content moderation is conducted. Different kinds of features might be integrated uh, related to, you know, profiles and how do you access other people. And so um, the owner in a private company has significantly more ability to direct the future of the corporation. Uh, and so that's going to be really interesting to see how much of of Elon Musk's uh, personality and desire for specific features is uh, rolled right into the design of the technology itself. Why do some people think this deal won't go through? That is an interesting question. Uh, It it could have been, uh, you know, a really big, uh, you know, smokescreen, you know, some kind of prank. But I, I do believe, based on the players that have loaned Musk money and, and the hit that Tesla stock has taken, uh, that people wouldn't go through that with this uh, if they were not serious. So I don't think that there's any um, nefariousness going on in terms of the seriousness of the deal. Mm-hmm. Joan... Musk also tweeted this week that the app Truth Social, which was started by former President Donald Trump after he was kicked off Twitter, exists because, quote, Twitter censored free speech. What does this signal about how Elon Musk views content moderation? I mean, there's a lot to discuss here about content moderation and the way that Elon Musk has, uh, you know, put up polls about wanting an edit button. The thing about Trump is that it was... January 6th produced a serious information crisis where people were getting their information from uh, Trump's Twitter account. There was real concern that uh, Trump wouldn't uh, be a responsible steward of, of information after, of course, the elections and 
the the quote unquote big lie, which is pretty much cons- cons- you know it's, there's twelve other small lies that are part of the big lie. And so this idea that Twitter could remove a sitting president from their platform rankled uh, people who describe themselves as free speech absolutists. Uh, that uh, that Musk has described himself as. But when it comes to Truth Social, I don't think it's going to be a very successful social media platform. And here's why. Fundamentally, Twitter and Facebook are built on social networking. And then they became social media, which is to say that people don't just go there for news or or politics. They go to these places because there are family and friends and coworkers and others that they're interacting with. The bonus zone of Twitter, of course, is a national uh, and international uh, media audience. And so you don't get any of that with Truth Social. Uh, You get highly politicized speech um, and you don't get any of the interactions that you get on Twitter. So it doesn't surprise me that Musk bought Twitter because he knows that Twitter is extremely influential Mm -hmm. and a powerful tool for politics. And that's, I think, what worries me the most is that he could have spent this money on building a platform of his own design, but he could never guarantee that people would actually use it. Here's a message we got from Justin in Georgia. The instant that I saw the news that Elon Musk had bought Twitter, I immediately deactivated my account. Not that I used it all that much, but I didn't want to even appear as though I stood in solidarity with Twitter's decision to sell. Freedom means different things for different people. And for people like Elon Musk, the freedom of speech doesn't necessarily mean that he's any more free to say what he wants. He always had that freedom. We get a lot of feedback on the show through Twitter. So do tweet us at 1A. You can also send us an email at 1A at WAMU.org. Elizabeth, Musk has called himself a free speech absolutist. What does that tell us about how he'll approach speech in moderation? Um, honestly, almost nothing. So Twitter has a really strong track record in terms of the First Amendment. Uh, You may remember in 2011, the former CEO, Dick Costolo, said that Twitter was the free speech wing of the free speech party. And that's something that people have been thinking about ever since. But you may remember in that era, um, that was mostly about Twitter's relationship with governments. There was uh, the Arab Spring. And so the platform had been letting activists organize despite political repression. Um, and at times, Costolo had boasted about his fight with the U.S. government about account data over you know, WikiLeaks, um, which was under investigation at the time. Since then, uh, the company has gone out of its way in court to defend the right to anonymity and push back on questionable subpoenas Mm -hmm. um, and has fought for uh, the right to reveal to users when governments want information. So there's um, a a long track record here for Twitter that suggests that they are actually uh, free speech maximalists. Now... My suspicion with Elon Musk is that this is kind of a uh, Gen X culture war that's been a little bit warmed over, and he's concerned about the way that Twitter is moderating its users. So, um, Kate, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren condemned Elon Musk's Twitter Twitter purchase along with our listener. 
Uh, she called it, quote, dangerous for our democracy and called for a wealth tax and harsher regulations on big tech. Democratic Representative Catherine Clark, who's also with the Massachusetts delegation, called out Musk for his taxes, too. She tweeted, she tweeted, quote, if they can afford to buy Twitter, they can afford their fair share in taxes. Uh, Kate, what is it about Musk and his tax practices that have these lawmakers concerned? You know, I think that um, the concerns with Elon Musk is it, it all kind of boils back down to the same thing that people think that he's just sort of an erratic character. And I think that, you know, he has paid his tax bill via Twitter poll before, you know, he kind of has thrown a lot of money into this deal um, at very short notice. And so I think you know, lawmakers look at this and think, you know, if you can just throw money around like that, why are you not, um, you know, why are you not being more responsible with it? Why are you not thinking about what good you could do with it, either in in paying your taxes or in contributing to philanthropy? Warren wasn't the only lawmaker to weigh in. Uh, Republican Texas Senator Ted Cruz says that this is a watershed moment for America. I think Elon Musk's buying Twitter is without exaggeration the most important development for free speech in decades. Kate, how will this deal change the way Twitter is managed? I think what Elon has said is that his priority is to change the content moderation rules on the platform. And what he's pushed for is really for the company to go back to the way that it managed content in its very early days. Twitter started out with the sort of free speech maximalist approach And it learned a lot of very hard lessons over the years about why that wouldn't work. Um, And the approach that the company takes now is to try to protect all of the voices on the platform. There is this idea that, you know, speech would naturally balance itself out. And if there was bad speech on the platform, if there was harassment, if there was misinformation, other users would step in and correct it and their voices would drown that out. And what Twitter's found is that, you know, that didn't really work. And a lot of those voices were being driven off the platform. And so now their approach is more about protecting more members of the public conversation. And I think that, you know, Musk has been really clear that he wants to change that. He's also said that he doesn't have any confidence in the current leadership of Twitter. And so it's possible that we'll see a lot of shakeups of, you know, the executives who are running the company. And we also know that the board is going to go away once Twitter becomes a private company and the deal closes. As you know, as a private company, it will no longer have a board of directors that are trying to hold it accountable and steer the ship. Just to note, we reached out to Twitter to participate in this conversation. They declined, but sent a link to a statement with words from a few Twitter executives. Brett Taylor, Twitter's independent board chair, said in part, quote, The proposed transaction will deliver a substantial cash premium, and we believe it is the best pass forward for Twitter stakeholders, end quote. And Parag Agrawal, Twitter CEO, said, Twitter has a purpose and relevance that impacts the entire world. We're deeply proud of our teams and inspired by the work that has never been more important. And we're hearing from quite a few listeners, too. Stephanie tweets, I'm not big on the influence of billionaires in general, but I'm very much in favor of Elon Musk's specific ideas about reducing content moderation on Twitter, reducing spots and spam, and moving toward a more open source transparency of algorithms. So... They mentioned Musk has named a number of changes to implement. And in a press release, 
Monday, he said, quote, I want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with a few new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Uh, Elizabeth, that's a lot to break down. But first of all, in as plain terms as you can possibly tell us, what is an open source algorithm? So what they're talking about is putting the code for Twitter's algorithms in a place that is accessible for other engineers to read. And the reason I say that a place that is accessible for other engineers to read is because I think most Twitter users would find this not useful. It wouldn't tell them why they're seeing the things that they're seeing. It wouldn't explain what's going on in their accounts. It wouldn't do anything. And as for like letting other people evaluate the algorithm, you know, I have questions about whether that's a good idea too, partially because I know how complex these things can be. So for instance, um, a few years ago, Twitter realized that there are problems with its ad targeting and it took a hit on its earnings because it had taken them months to figure it out. More recently, uh, Facebook discovered that its newsfeed had been accidentally promoting misinformation. It also took those engineers a couple months to figure it out. Now, in both cases, these are the people who are the most familiar with the code, and they can't quite figure out what's going on. So the idea that most of us would be able to do anything with this um, is silly. But I think the other thing that's worth mentioning here is that if you are trying to protect against spam bots and other... um, bad users of the platform, providing that code gives them the opportunity to try to get around it. It makes it easier for them to figure out what the controls are and how to manipulate them. So I'm, I'm, I don't think an open source algorithm solves any of the problems that we're pretending it does. I think that this is uh, a, an idea that is um, at best irrelevant. So I'm glad you mentioned spam bots. That's something else Musk mentioned Uh, In that statement, Joan, how does Twitter address spam and scam posts now? Um, So far right now, uh, you know, they do have uh, heightened security around uh, batch uh, creation of accounts. It definitely has made a difference in the amount of spammy uh, automated bot activity that we've seen on the platform, most notoriously, I think, in uh, the kind of spam that was circulating around the 2016 election. Uh, But this comes, uh, this is a really personal issue for Elon Musk, because whenever anybody tweets about crypto or Bitcoin, you will get an avalanche of replies from bots offering you deals, asking you to click on these links. And a lot of them actually use Elon's face (laughs) as their avatar. And so he is Uh, probably the most impersonated account uh, in these uh, crypto spam bot worlds. Mm -hmm. And so for him, that's intimately tied to the uh, notion that he wants to authenticate all of the humans. And uh, but the spam bot thing is something that uh, really particularly uh, flames the communities of, of crypto. We'll be back with more on our discussion of Twitter and Elon Musk in just a moment. Remember, to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Let's get back to our conversation with this message from one of you. Emily tweets, I'm very concerned that Elon's radical free speech discourse will result in less moderation and will ultimately encourage either violent or hate speech on Twitter. 
There's already a lot of that on this platform. The moderation is the only thing keeping it somewhat in check. Joan, Twitter reported thousands of accounts were deactivated after the Elon Musk news was announced, but called the fluctuations organic. How have users reacted to the change in ownership? Yeah, I've been paying a lot of close attention, uh, particularly in uh, a sort of a right wing and even far right uh, spheres. And and it's being celebrated as this triumphant return of the troll. And, uh, you know, this idea that Twitter is going to be a very open place where people can uh, freely uh, post uh, jabs at journalists they dislike. They can, they're talking about now we'll be able to talk openly about the vaccine. What that means, of course, is spreading medical misinfo. So in the in the right and even on the far right, this is a major celebration, whereas on the left, people are already starting to uh, slowly back away from the platform. People starting to put it, uh, post goodbye messages or post other information about where they can be contacted. Um, so there is this uh, really strong imbalance uh, of sentiment. Uh, and then the other thing that we do see, especially um, tied to this moment, is an uptick in trans harassment. Mm. Uh, this is, of course, related to the DeSantis uh, parental rights bill. And then uh, the subtext of this, of course, is an attack on Disney, which had made a... Uh, uh, you know, policies that they were going to integrate LGBTQ characters into their um, into their uh, entertainment. This, of course, fired up a lot of um, uh, uh, Christian conservatives as well as far right proponents of uh, banning, uh, for instance, um, uh, anything related to teaching children about gender identity or different kinds of families. And so uh, it's hard to tell how much of the the transgender discrimination and, and hate speech is related to this culture war playing out on Twitter and how much of it is also tied to this uh, uh, feeling of freedom that trolls have uh, uh, been experiencing, almost adulation uh, for Musk's takeover. Elizabeth, the European Union recently introduced the Digital Services Act. It'll require companies like Google, Meta, and Twitter to police their platforms for hate speech and misinformation or face billions in fines. How would a Twitter run by Elon Musk be impacted by that legislation? Oh, that's an open question. I mean, we haven't seen the full text of the DSA yet um, because the way that the EU operates is very different than the way that the U.S. operates. Um, that said, these are not slap on the risk fines. Um, you know, if you aren't labeling deep fakes or engaging in annual formal risk assessments and mitigation plans, um, you are potentially on the hook for 6% of your revenue, which, again, you have to remember that this is a buyout that's being financed partially by debt. So anything that hits the revenue is actually a very big deal. Here's what the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had to say about Elon Musk buying Twitter. No matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, what they ha the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Kate, the UK also has an online safety law in the works which aims to rein in big tech. 
Has there been any effort to introduce similar legislation here in the U.S.? You know, I think that the United States has been somewhat behind where the EU is in terms of regulating social media. And it's possible that some of these approaches that have been taken in the EU might eventually be imported into the United States and used by regulators here. But I think it's a little bit early to say exactly how the United States is going to approach regulation in this space. So we're still hearing from you all. And Mary emailed, I do not believe that we as a society should leave Twitter so as not to be enabling billionaires. I also believe in free and fair speech, but there is a strong difference between fact and opinions and hate speech. Joan, uh, Mary mentioned the billionaire aspect, and that's come up over and over again. It seems pretty easy for a billionaire to come in, secure funding and privatize a company. What implications does that have on how tech companies are managed moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to watch out for this, especially if you build a very successful company. Uh, You know, the possibility of getting acquired or rolled into one of these technologies, you know, we we just have to look at the short history of these enormous tech companies to think about how much innovation is actually being stalled because these projects uh, or these tech uh, products are being built in the image of uh, you know, a few billionaires. Take, for instance, Instagram was bought up by Facebook and incorporated into the, the Meta family brands. But uh, there was a real opportunity there to create a, a social network that had a different governance structure and different strategy. I'm also, you know, very concerned about a, a companies like CrowdTangle, which was by and large, one of the only ways in which researchers could look into Facebook and get a sense of what kind of media and 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 uh, and links and content were being shared and where? And uh, once they got acquired and and people started using CrowdTangle, of course, it became uh, a, a pain point for for Meta, who then uh, have started to ramp down those services, and most of the original CrowdTangle team has left. And so I worry that. If Twitter starts to go down this narrow scape of uh, being uh, re-engineered every time uh, Elon Musk is annoyed with something, uh, it's going to create very unstable communication environments, especially at a time we can't forget. This is an election year. We are headed uh, in November to uh, some very significant midterm uh, challenges. And if we can't depend on Twitter to, to ensure that there's going to be uh, sort of minimum viable public interest content on it, uh, and we're unsure about uh, what's going to happen when certain candidates are maligned and disinformation is deployed, uh, if we can't depend on large scale content moderation teams uh, at least trying to uh, combat this, it's going to be really destabilizing for us uh, as, as in the U.S. Uh, but I also worry about other elections. We have uh, May 9th is the election in the Philippines, and Maria Ressa has really warned us that um, fake news uh, about different candidates uh, and about journalists in particular Uh, runs rampant on the platform, uh, but nevertheless, they uh, activists get out the vote campaigns as well as uh, everyday ordinary Filipinos have to use Twitter. Um, And so it's it's really an important 
piece of the critical infrastructure of communication across societies. And so having a single owner that isn't necessarily committed to uh, the health of the public conversation could be real trouble. So Jack Dorsey, the founder and former CEO of Twitter, endorsed Musk's purchase but added, quote, in principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. Dorsey believes it's a public good, and we've heard a lot of that, um, whether it's journalists, whether it's politicians, whether it's, you know, everyday people. Uh, Elizabeth, how has the idea and the function of purpose of Twitter changed since it was founded? That's a good question. I think Twitter was initially meant to just be another way to communicate with your friends. That's part of how it got going, right? Um, If you look back at early tweets, they tend to be a lot more personal and they don't assume a global audience. And now, of course, any user can suddenly be blown up and have their tweets shown on television or become a meme like the uh, 30 to 50 wild hogs guy um, who I salute. Good for you, buddy. Uh, I think he handled that remarkably well. But I think one thing that we're missing in this conversation when we talk about a billionaire owning Twitter is that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. The Sulzberger family controls the New York Times. This is not a new state of affairs. This is, in fact, the state of affairs for American media. Um, I mean, the Wall Street Journal is owned by Rupert Murdoch. So the idea that Twitter is somehow different, I'm a little skeptical about that. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if we're okay with billionaires owning old media, then why is it different for new media? I want to get to this clip from a listener. I don't think Elon Musk is going to ruin Twitter, but I am concerned about his history as a bad actor when it comes to civil rights and workers' rights and racism and misogyny and on and on. And I am also concerned about his ability to data mine and what he sees he will gain from uh, ownership. Kate, under Musk's leadership, Tesla employees have called out the company for racism, sexism, and other discriminatory practices. And after a three-year investigation, the state of California is suing Tesla on behalf of 4,000 Black employees. They describe working there uh, as having rampant racism. Tesla called the lawsuit misguided. What do these allegations tell us about how Musk runs companies? Kate? You know, I think these allegations could be a foreshadowing for what Twitter may be run like when Elon Musk takes over. Um, But, you know, it's something that remains to be seen. And I think part of what we do know about Elon Musk is that he does like to integrate his companies and kind of shift and operate across them, you know, spending an hour at Tesla and then hopping over to SpaceX and then moving on to the boring company. There's a lot of integration and flow between these companies. And so I think we can expect to see that in Twitter, you know, both in terms of the way the company's operated and in terms of, of the company culture. And so some of the issues that you've mentioned may become part of Twitter's culture as the companies kind of integrate and operate under the same owner. Kay tweeted, I started writing poetry during the pandemic, and the hashtag writing community on Twitter has been a delightful discovery. I hope Musk's vision of Twitter doesn't ruin this discourse space for those who use it for positive outreach. Thanks so much, Kay. And also thank you to Elizabeth Lopato. She's deputy editor at The Verge. You also heard from Joan Donovan. She directs the Technology and Social Change Research Project at the Shorenstein Center at Harvard Kennedy School. And Kate Conger is a tech reporter covering Twitter for The New York Times. 
Thank all of you for joining us today. Today's producer was Arfi Getty. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm John Pullen-Hill, in for Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.